Hi, everyone. And today I'm with uh, Taylor from TD Nutrition. Thank you so much for joining us today, Taylor. Of course. Um, yeah, I'm happy to be here. And today we'll talk about uh, how you're helping people heal chronic disease and get healthy in general on, I believe, a high raw vegan diet in general. Is that correct? Yep. yep. High raw, high fruit, all that good stuff. Yeah. Okay. So we can talk a little bit how you been helping people with the coaching and some tips you can give to the listener answering uh, questions also today. So my first question to you, Taylor, would be, uh, what are you grateful for today? What am I grateful for? Um, Probably the weather. It's a beautiful day, super blue skies mm. and um, fluffy, fluffy clouds, um, which we don't get a lot of in LA. Mostly the clouds are, are chemtrails. So I've been like just admiring the sky all day today and took my dogs for a walk and it was just really nice. So yeah. nice. So would you begin to give a, a little bit of an introduction of your journey leading into what you do now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, I feel like everyone's like health journey is kind of crazy. So um, when I was uh, 14, my my dad passed away um, very suddenly in a plane crash. And um, so like a year after that, I kind of started developing an eating disorder kind of as a way to cope. I um, just was not eating. I got into running. I was running like eight to 10 miles a day, all while eating like an encrustable, those like little freezer peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. <laughs> like just so unhealthy. I was not, and I was just hardly eating. Um, and then when I was in college, um, like my junior year of college, I read this book called Unprocessed by Megan Kimball. And it's not like a vegan book or anything, but she goes on this journey for a year where anything, if she wants to eat something, she has to make it from scratch. And she learned all about how processed most of the food is in our world. And it really opened her eyes um, the book opened my eyes and I was like, oh my gosh, there's so much to this nutrition thing. Like you actually have to nourish your body. It's not about being in a calorie deficit all the time to maintain a weight or anything. Um, so then I kind of started doing a lot more of my own research. I was studying psychology at the time and I was like, well, it's too late to switch my major. So I'll finish what I'm doing. And then after my bachelor, after undergrad, I'll figure out what I want to do to get into nutrition at that point. Um, and so after college, I did like a certification program just to make sure I liked it, that I was going to want to do this. Um, and I did. So then I decided I wanted to get my master's in nutrition. So I found a more holistic based program. It was a pretty small, like international program. And um, like a month before I started that program, I got diagnosed with Lyme disease and I had been sick for like a year prior Um pretty bad, like just insane fatigue, body aches, a rash all over my arms and legs. And, um, it was pretty crazy and no, no doctors could figure out exactly what was going, going on. I saw multiple dermatologists, a few different allergy doctors thinking it could have been allergies or something. No one knew, no one could figure it out. So their solution was, well, we'll just give you some steroid injections and calm it down. And then eventually it was like, well, I can't keep doing these steroid injections. They're not good for me. So then they're like, oh, well, we have this immunosuppressant drug where you would just get an injection every three months to suppress your immune system. And um, my acupuncture doctor at the time was like, I would not do that, Taylor. And I'm thinking to myself, but it's the only option. It's all I have. And, and she's like, I wouldn't do it. I would wait. Like, you're going to go to school for nutrition. I guarantee you, you're going to be able to figure something out. So um, I decided, all right, I will wait. 
Um, but then I did get diagnosed. I got a diagnosis. And so I saw a naturopathic doctor, which those are supposed to be more natural, more herbs and stuff, not so much medicine, but she did for whatever reason, put me on antibiotics, put me on antifungal medication. Um, and I did that for 10 months, um, along with starting to change my diet, but not a whole lot. And then, um, I finally was like, I was getting worse. My lab numbers were getting worse. I'm like, this isn't working. So um, at that point, I felt a little more confident in my knowledge around nutrition. So I stopped all my medications. I went full in with nutrition, with high fruit, cutting out like a lot of the fat in my diet and cleaned things up even more. Um, and then within six months, the Lyme disease was in remission. It took my skin a little longer to catch on, but I was starting to feel like myself again pretty quickly. Um, and so at that point I was like, yes, there's, there's something, something to this. And I know there's so many other people out there who have been in a similar position to myself of not knowing what to do and feeling like there is no other option other than drugs, but they don't want to do that. Uh, so then that's kind of how I found my niche clientele, um, with that whole journey. So <laughs> kind of crazy. Amazing. That's a, yeah, beautiful story. It's nice that you had that uh, experience, I love what you shared about making food yourself, you know, and uh, I think regardless of the more dogmatic diets of, oh, vegan, keto, whatever, it's like when you start doing things yourself, I had a phase where I did keto, for example, the part of it was really looking to what I put into my food, right? And from that, gave the awareness that made it already 10 times better. And for me, the approach of uh, eating mostly raw vegan is very similar. It's like, okay, it's not like it sh should be raw vegan. It's more, well, I'm going to eat what is good the most in the most unprocessed way, including cooking. So then yeah. if I eat something purely raw, it's generally going to be fruits, like obviously not meat, uh, not right. appetizing to me, raw in its natural state. Even a lot of vegetables, like, you know, if I'm in nature and I see a leaf of kale, not that appetizing to me. So it's having that very simple approach. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And it's funny that you tried keto. I tried keto at one point as well. And it actually was the, the first domino that got knocked over that sent my health toward a downward spiral. Mm -hmm. But but I do agree, like anytime you remove toxic preservative process things out of your diet. I mean, you're going to get some relief one way or another, whatever, you know, type of, of diet that is. So. Yeah. 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 Mm. Exciting. What you shared makes me think of like, when I think in the, um, in, um, yeah, high fruit and healing chronic disease, I think Dr. Moss, do you have a relationship with him, his school, an opinion about it? Um, so I don't have a relationship with him or his school, but like I, I'm as far as I consume his content and I love like his books and, and her, his book and, um, you know, all of, all of his videos on YouTube, like that was something that we didn't directly get that information in my program, but we had to write a lot of research papers and we had a lot of freedom with like what we could use for our sources. So he was a lot of go, like my, one of my biggest go-tos when I would write papers and stuff. Um, so yes, I do. I love his work a lot. Are you into the herbs also? I am. Yes. Yeah. I don't do a ton of herbs, but I, I, I will often recommend them for clients and things like that. Um, myself, I, I don't have anything against them for myself. It was just something like I didn't necessarily need it as much early on. I did actually early on when I was still really dealing with the Lyme I did, but now I'm, I've 
kind of been out of that for so long now that it's just mostly like whole foods with like a few type of supplements, a couple of herbs, but not a ton. Cool. And uh, so interesting. And have you done also some more intense detox work? I'm thinking GI broom or things of this kind. Yeah. I mean, not, not a ton of intense, like I haven't done like, you know, like I know a lot of people get into um, like different coffee enemas and stuff like that. Like I've never done any of those. I've really never even done a water fast. I'm not totally against those. Um, but it was just like, I was able to reach where, like where I wanted to be with my health with a lot of like juice fasting. Um, and I found that when I would, I would personally, when I was really going through it, I cycled in and out of consuming fat. So I would not consume fat for a week and then consume fat for a week. And I would really go back and forth. Um, and that really, really helped for whatever reason, my body responded so quickly when I would have those breaks of consuming all fats, like I would cut out avocado and stuff as well. Um, and then I'd go like week on week off and that seemed to really help. And when I would do the weeks of, of no fat, I would do a day or two of juices only during that time. So I kind of like, developed my own way of cleansing in, in a sense. Um, and then I also did like a, a heavy metal detox cleanse, um, which not, I mean, it sounds more intense than what it was, but I used like a, a type of zeolite and that was like six months long. Um, and that helped too. Um, and that really helped my skin because metals do play a huge role when you have skin issues. Mm, okay. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, and yeah, what's your diet like like at the moment? At the moment. So this time of year it tends to be a little less raw. Um and that's just because it's colder and I do come dinner time want something cooked. So I I start my day with juice or with water every day, and then I do a juice. Sometimes I'll do two juices in the morning, depending. Um, but I'll always do some type of green juice and then, um, my breakfast. So my breakfast will either be another juice like orange juice or something, um, or it'll be a fruit or a smoothie, just depending what's available and what sounds good. Um, it is citrus season in California right now. And the mandarins and tangerines are just unreal. So I've been doing a lot of, of tangerine or mandarin juice for breakfast. Um, and then for lunch, I usually do smoothies, mostly out of convenience, because a lot of times I'm seeing clients during the lunch hour, so I can drink the smoothie. I mean, again, you're drinking juice while we're on the call. It's easy to drink a smoothie while you're on a call with a client. Um, and then for dinner is usually when I'll have something cooked, um, if I have something cooked. In the summer, my my dinners are definitely more raw. With When it's nicer out, my body does not want cooked food. So I do kind of listen to my body a little bit when it comes to dinner, um, so I'm definitely all raw until that time. Um, and then like right now, one of the recipes I'm really enjoying is like a butternut squash mac and cheese that I make. And the cheese sauce is just made with potatoes and butternut squash. And then I pour it over some uh, yellow pea noodles. So the noodles are just made from yellow pea flour. Um, so like, it's kind of nice. And like yesterday it was like raining here in LA. So I was like, oh, I want something kind of warm and comforting. So like, <laughs> that's what I made for dinner last night. So mm, nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious on that cooked, by the way, do you feel it has to do with the comfort being in winter? In, and well, two things, do you feel, so you said it's mainly winter, do you feel it has more to do with the comfort and has something more about the temperature and maybe the emotional side? Or do you feel there's actually a nutritional need that's different when you're in winter? 
I think it's definitely more of a comfort and emotional side. Um, like last winter, if I compare even just last winter to this winter, last winter, I did a lot more raw dinners for whatever reason. I did a lot of like zucchini noodle pastas with like a raw pasta sauce, whether it was a pesto or some type of sun-dried tomato sauce. Um, and then for whatever reason, this winter, I've just been much more into the cooked dinners and maybe that's, you know, something emotional. My body's just wanting like that, like to me, having a cooked meal in the winter anyways, is like having like, you know, kind of like a hug. Um, but no, no nutritional benefit, but it's crazy because I can totally feel the difference when I go multiple days in a row, having cooked dinners, I feel so parched after the meal. And I'm like, I need a juice. I need a fruit, something (laughs) to like rehydrate. Cause I can totally feel it. And so um, even in the winter after a few nights of cooked meals of cooked dinners, it's like, okay, I need, I need to break this up because I'm starting to feel the dehydration. Yeah. I love that you have that, uh, feeling approach and it's also something I'm like, I'm doing a lot. Actually, I was also in Europe two months ago for two months. Oh, oh and it was probably uh, cold. Yeah. Yeah. In Germany it was snowing outside. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> And it was interesting. I had the same observation, which was that I wanted a bit more than in Bali to have the cooked food because it felt like a hug, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> at the same time, I, I could feel I, I was feeling more sluggish or more, more tired. So on that way, I didn't like it. So actually, even though I would have allowed myself totally to have that good food every day, very quickly I'd have one and then I'd be like actually I don't really want that I'll I'll make a hot ginger tea with honey and <laughs> and for my meal I'll keep to the to the big salads for the dinner and uh, but yeah I hear that and I love that you have a that balanced gentle approach to that in my opinion allows the body to catch up with the mind and to work as a team and in yes. the long term to be much more consistent because we have that embodied experience right so allowing okay it seems i really want to cook food let's have it but let's do it with consciousness mm-hmm. and then you can make your own truth rather than having the mind saying yeah. this is bad this is cooked don't do it exactly yeah and it almost makes you want it more if you're like no i can't i can't have it so yeah yeah the, the rebellious side that if you we can't do it it's like it's tricky balance yeah exactly yeah but it's definitely helpful to be intuitive and again yeah be be aware of your body and and knowing like okay this is what my body is you know needing right now and 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 that's okay so that's actually a great transition to emotional eating and mental health in general because on paper things are pretty simple right yeah uh, for example I, I work a lot with people who want to lose weight and it's like, okay, eat lots of raw fruits and vegetables, do more exercise, easy, right? Well, simple, but not so easy. Right. <laughs> the whole emotional component. So I'm sure for you, there's something where you have a recipe, let's say, for people to heal the, the disease, but somehow it can get really hard also. So I'm sure a lot of your work is around the emotional and mental health around the food, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, having mental blocks is such a huge part of it. And what I see a lot with clients um, is you you have these foods from your childhood that you remember and that you have these sentimental memories attached to. And it's really hard to let go of that when you're on some type of weight loss journey or health journey because you you maybe will have a bad day or you get stressed. And it's like you want to go to this particular food that 
you you have a fond memory of giving you comfort, maybe something your mom made or, you know, something you'd eat around the holidays. And that's that's really, really hard. Um, what I what I encourage clients to do is, OK, let's sit down and figure out, OK, what is it, it that your comfort food is or that you enjoy when you're feeling sad? And can we come up with a healthier version of that for you? Can we rework that recipe for you? Um, that was helpful for me. Not that there was lots of things that I, my mom would make, or I would eat when I was feeling sad, but mostly when it came to like the holidays, my mom's a huge baker, loves to bake sweets and like around Halloween and Thanksgiving, she bakes these pumpkin muffins, which I love. But when I went through my health, all my health stuff, like I couldn't do the gluten, I couldn't do the dairy, there were eggs in them. So it took me a couple of years, but I recreated the recipe and it smells just like hers. Obviously it does taste a tiny bit different because there are healthier ingredients, but it tastes almost the same. And so now I get to still enjoy this particular food that I have fond memories of my mom making for me, but it's not going to, you know, it's not going to make me feel sick the next day or cause a bunch of digestive problems. So I really try to help my clients reframe their old comfort foods in new ways so that they don't feel like they're having to um, restrict themselves. It's just, okay, this food is now going to look a little different for this phase of your life. Thanks, Taylor. Yeah, I can relate to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, what are your clients and people coming to see you mainly coming for? A lot of it is digestive imbalance. Um, I, I have a more specialized, um, like, I don't want to say degree, but I took more courses when it came to gut health. So I just have a little bit more knowledge and, and training around gut health. So that that's probably the number one, like chronic illness that I see people for is something gut related. Um, I've worked with a lot of people who have uh, ulcerative colitis, um, who are now in remission, um, which is huge. Um, a lot of people with um, irritable bowel syndrome, which that's pretty generic. Most people will get an irritable bowel syndrome diagnosis if they have any type of gut imbalance. Um, but you know, that's how we label it. So it's easy to describe it that way. Um, so that's a big one. And the other big one, um, that I get, even though it's not necessarily gut related is so many people with Hashimoto's. I work with a lot of people who have Hashimoto's like thyroid, um, disease. So yeah. And okay. And what's usually the, the way to go? them so a lot of it is starting with like the lymphatic system and getting the lymphatic system moving and not be so stagnant um which that's obviously then connected to the liver and the kidneys and getting those properly filtering and once that happens a lot of the bacteria and stuff that's built up in the body is no longer like if it's thyroid it's not you know attacking your thyroid and your thyroid's able to rebalance um and then with the gut oftentimes when our lymph is stagnant and our liver's not functioning, it does cause the digestive system to be in distress because other tasks aren't happening. And the digestive system will kind of, the way I explain it to clients is it will try to help and try to help the liver and try to help the kidneys, but it's not designed to do the job that those organs do. So as a result, it gets basically overextended and then can't digest the food you would normally eat regularly. So then you're in, you know, discomfort or you're bloating because nothing is happening as it should. So, um, it's like, you know, to us, it feels like a gut problem to us. It feels like a thyroid problem, but when you really get to the root cause, it ends up being a lymph problem, a liver problem, that kind of thing. Mm. 
Okay, and that reminds me of uh, Dr. Morse, who talks a lot about the kidney filtration, and he has this test where you basically look at your urine and the sediments. Is that the test you're doing also? Um, I don't usually have my clients do tests because most of the time I can, I just, we can treat it without having an actual test done um, because in time it will go away. Sometimes if if it's not, then I'll have them test, but I haven't had it where they've needed to do that. Some of my clients are like, oh, I just want to do it for my own, like my own knowledge, my own awareness. And so I'm like, great, let's do it. Um, but I don't necessarily require them to do it. We usually can kind of get to the root cause of everything without that. So. And do the solution, let's say, for it look generally similar in terms of especially diet, let's say? Yeah, most of the time, it really depends where the person's starting um, and, you know, what everyone's like toxic load is. Um, and there's no way to fully know what each individual person's toxic toxic load is. The way, you know, I've heard a doctor describe it once in an interview as like, we all have a bucket of toxins that we carry around. Um, and if our bucket of toxins is full and overflowing, that's when we have, you know, we start to get all these crazy symptoms. Um, you know, we get some symptoms as it starts to reach its, you know, full capacity, our body starts to warn us. And then when it overflows, things, things fall apart. Um, and so some people do have a really badly overflowing bucket of toxins. Some people's is maybe hovering around the top. So, you know, depending how much toxins they're probably dealing with, which I can usually tell based on what they currently eat, what they ate as a kid, because we usually go over that. Um, and, you know, finding out what they were sick with as a kid too, that kind of helps gives me some insight of like, okay, how, how toxic is your, are your internal organs probably? Um, and I can usually make a pretty good estimate. So someone who has a lot more toxins, um, you know, their advice is going to be very different um, than someone who I don't think is carrying around as many toxins. Um, and so obviously there's a lot of overlap because, you know, pretty much everyone, you can say, eat more fruit and you're going to get some relief. Um, but then fine tuning, like I said, with clients is when I, where I recommend herbs and things like that to offer more of a buffer and kind of speed things along for them. Um, and you know, everyone, then, then everyone's timeline to healing is different. And really like our health journey is, is never really over. We never really reach that finish line. Like while I would say that I'm healed from Lyme disease, do I feel like, oh, okay, I'm at the place where I want to be with my health? No, it's like a constant journey. And, um, you know, I'm constantly exposed to things in the air. I live very close to an airport. So there's always like jet fuel. So it's like, I constantly need to be aware that there are things I can't control. So I want to make sure that like, I'm doing different detox methods regularly to make sure that I'm continuing to empty my bucket. So it doesn't overflow again. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for sharing. Well, you definitely look like a healthy and vibrant individual. Thank you. <laughs> but, uh, of course there is always you know, something. And it's an interesting balance, actually, for people who are, let's call it health freaks like us, to find that balance when we want the best for our bodies and we want the best air, we want the best water, we want the best food, we want the sunshine, we want all of that because we love our temple and treat it really well. And when it becomes obsessive in a way that might actually contribute to a decrease in health through also the stress and the power of body-mind connections, right? So yeah. I'm sure we all have a side of us and some friends also we've seen around that community, but there's usually a side of us that's like, 
basically everything's out there to kill us and that doesn't make life uh, the nicest. <laughs> no, definitely not. Yeah, you don't want to be afraid of everything. <laughs> That's not so healthy. To live. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because yeah, stress is one of like the worst things for your health. You could be doing everything right nutritionally, but if you're super stressed, then you're still not going to be 100% healthy. So yeah, it is in interesting. You familiar with Brian Johnson? Mm -hmm. Yes. I was reflecting, I'd love to have him at some point. And I was reflecting because he does all these things. But when I look at, for example, documentaries on the Blue Zones, there are things around community, tribe, love that yeah, uh, that seem to be like really important also. You know, he does things around stress, but I'm, yeah, I'm not sure if he included those so much. Anyway, I'm curious. I'm very grateful for the experiment he's doing, but... Uh, right. He definitely ended up on on quite a different road than the more natural way, let's say. Oh yeah, totally. It'll be fascinating to see what happens with it for sure. But I I do think like he is is obsessing over every detail, and I'm like, how like you aren't living your life, <laughs> you're not <laughs> enjoying. Like again, you you made such a great point with the blue zones. It is true. Like the people around you, the community is such a huge part of your health. And and in everything that I've seen and read of, of from like about him. Um, it seems like he doesn't, and again, maybe he does, we don't know for sure, but it just seems like every waking minute of his day is dedicated to like <laughs> his anti-aging routine. So yeah. he says he loves it though. So good on him. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. He loved it. <laughs> um, uh, I'm interested also. So you, usually people come to you more with chronic disease or do you also have people who simply, let's say, want to lose weight? Yeah, I do get people who just come for weight loss. Um, less common, but it does. Yeah, I do get clients like that. And what's your best advice for people who want to lose weight? Um, so obviously, like I said, eat more fruit. That's like always the go-to across the board. Um, but a lot of times with weight loss, um, there's a lymph problem there too. And I'm sure you're kind of familiar with that from from um Dr. Morse's work. Um and it's so crazy because some of my clients who come to me and while weight loss is like a secondary goal, it's like, okay, I have this chronic illness and this is what I really want to heal, but I do want to lose weight at some point. And so I'm like, okay, you're going to lose weight. Like it's just going to happen because we're what we're doing. Um, but they don't really have a lot of body fat to lose. And I'll point that out to them. I'm like, you don't, you're not carrying a lot of body fat. I guarantee you that the weight you're carrying around is from your lymph system. Like you are puffy from inflammation and a stagnant lymph, lymph system. It's not even body fat. And so even people who have just a weight loss goal, it's like, okay, we got to address your, your lymph system. Like we got to get you detoxing and all of that because maybe yes, you have some body fat, but I guarantee you most of it is this inflammation and puffiness from a stagnant mm -hmm. lymph system. So in that case, you would add also the herbs, for example. Yes. Yeah. And then do some liver flushes as well. Um, cause a lot of times people will lose weight and gain it back. And that's also a sign of having a sluggish liver of not being able to maintain solid weight loss. Um, mm -hmm. so depending on their history with weight loss, that if, if they've been up and down a lot, that usually will alert me that there's some, uh, sl uh sluggish liver as well. So, but yes, herbs. So to, so to help that herbs and liver cleanse are usually the, your, your two go-to. Yeah. And I mean, even with a liver cleanse, you don't have to do anything crazy. Like you can do something as simple as take a break from fats week on week off or something, um, which 
when I say cleanse people, like a lot of times clients, especially if they're new to cleanses, they get very intimidated. And I'm like, I promise you, it is not going to be as intense as it sounds. And then when we go over it, they're like, oh yeah, that's not that bad. I can do that. So, mm. or they'll yeah, think well, water fast or something. And I'm like, oh my gosh, if you're a beginner, I would not even suggest that. So don't, <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> uh, what do you think of the gallbladder and liver flush? You know, the one where you drink the oil and get the stones out. <laughs> Yeah, I do not believe in that. And and olive oil, I don't even consider it to be a health food at all. Um, and then to drink that much olive oil, um, obviously you're doing stuff on the cleanse. I've, I've done that cleanse before. I will say like before I went to school for nutrition, when I was first dealing with some of my Lyme disease symptoms, I tried one of those cleanses and I drank that oil and I didn't sleep that night. I was in so much pain. Um, and then I learned later that that's so much fat at one time for the liver to break down that it just can't do it. And so you, you know, that's why you get these stones because it's not able to be broken down. And then it's just, it comes out with food particles from the intestinal tract. So <laughs> I don't, I mean, I don't know. How, how do you feel about those? Are Is that something that you like? Um, I've done it twice, maybe five years ago. Okay. Um, yeah, I was. I read the the book, and yeah, right now I would feel the same. Like uh, I tried like the stones; they weren't that hard, so I feel uh, I was quite skeptical about it. I took a, <laughs> you know, it's funny because you were saying oh, I was feeling horrible, and the thing in the detox world is it'd be like great. That means it's working. You know, if you if you feel great, it works. But if you <laughs> feel like shit, it works yeah. even better. You know, so yeah. it's like you're always right. Um, which can be part of it. It's okay. But, uh, yeah. I took, I took a little bit of a distance from the detox world, whether it's the GI brooms, whether it's the, I don't know, I've even tried like turpentine cleanse and done like oh, a, okay. few, a few of these like more hardcore ones, including yeah. the gallbladder and liver flush. And I don't know, they might have been really helpful and cleansing. So I'm not against them if people feel cold to them, but I definitely yeah. don't recommend them either. They're not really part of my journey anymore. I did yeah. a two week water fast uh, six months ago and actually appreciated the natural side of it, not adding something that, uh, yeah. you know, and, and I know there's, there's the people who wouldn't like that either, but it felt right to me. So yeah, I, when I recommend to people is I go on more fruits and vegetables basically, and that's the that's the detox. And then if people feel cold to go five days on water, I think it's awesome. But only yeah. if it's really appalling from them. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I know that's funny. You point out when people will say like, "Oh yeah, if you feel worse, it's it's the detox happening." And like, yes, there are detox effects for sure. And like. Yes, you might feel some things, but I was like keeled over in bed and like my my liver was hurting, like where my liver was, it was painful. And I'm like, I don't think that this is normal. Um, and it happened the second time I did it too. And after that, I was like, not again, like that was too painful. So, and then, yeah, no, I'm like, when I learned about it, then I'm like, no wonder my liver was hurting. It was telling me no, <laughs> so. I know um, Medical Medium, he has also a liver cleanse program. Is that something you're inspired by? Yes. Yeah. You know, a lot of my clients uh, really like his cleanse. I think it's a great cleanse. Um, it's also, I would say, a not, not super intimidating cleanse. Um, so that is one that I will suggest to my clients, especially as like if they're new to cleansing, 
it's so great. Cause I feel like it, it definitely kind of holds your hand through it. Um, mm. and it's, it is really gentle. And so talking about the fat, yeah, you also recommend uh, something that could be more gentle, but let's say avoiding any concentrated source of fat for a week. Are you generally also uh, for yourself and for clients trying to stay on the low fat side? Generally, are you inspired maybe by 80-10-10 by Dubram or do you have a, is that one of your inspirations? Yeah, so I'm definitely inspired by um, Dr. Doug Graham. And also, um, when I was in school, we learned that there was a group of physicians in the 1930s who took a very low fat approach to treating like kidney disease, heart disease, diabetes, um, psoriasis and eczema and a few other conditions. And they had like wild success treating and their low fat was very low fat. It was like 8% at fat or 7%. Um Excuse me. No, it wasn't. It was 2% because it was 92% carbs, 2% fat, and the rest was protein. Like it was so low. Like I would never recommend that low fat. Um, but they followed these people for 11 years and they maintained their positive results. And so it's very fascinating that this was a way to treat patients almost a hundred years ago. Um, and then in the 1950s, might've been the 1930s. I'm pretty sure it was the 1950s. Don't quote me on that. But um, they changed, at least in the US, they changed the guidelines for what low fat meant. And low fat used to mean 10% of your daily calories came from fat. Then they changed it to 30% of your daily calories. So now if you were to go to the doctor and the doctor's like, yeah, you know what? We should probably put, you should probably be eating low fat. That means 30%. And that's way too high for your body to heal. And these doctors were, you know, from the 1930s, 20s, 30s, they were huge on like, yeah, 30% is too high. You're not going to get any metabolic results for healing by doing that. Um, and so nowadays, no one knows what real low fat means, especially like the average person. Obviously, if you start to dive into, um, you know, raw healing and stuff, you're going to find Doug Graham and stuff. Um, but yeah, so he, he was definitely an inspiration. Um, but like I said, you know, I'd kind of learned a little bit of the history of low fat eating and how successful it was. And so I was pretty sold on it already. So when I came across Doug Graham, I'm just like, oh, great, another amazing source who's on, who's on to this. Uh, mm. so yeah. And so I myself still eat, you know, pretty low fat on, um, a regular basis. I find that I just feel the best that way. Um, so. Mm. And it's so interesting because it actually is, um, probably harder to do than we think let's say i usually get my clients to use a calorie counting app and macro counting and it's not so much because i tell them you should eat that many calories it's more to have awareness to start with and often people think they eat way less fat than they actually do for a few reasons yep um one would be that a gram of fat is something like two and a half times the calories of a gram of uh, carbs, right? So I'm not sure exactly the number, but it's more. So when you have half in grams fat, it's actually much higher in fat in terms of carbs. And then often carbs are more hidden in sauces. So people will end up doing a, a salad with tomatoes and cucumbers thinking, oh, that's, you know, a lot of carbs. But in terms of calories, if they have a dressing that's made from uh, like nuts and seeds, they actually have a meal that's like 60% fat. You know? 
Exactly. But it's so true what you said about not realizing how much fat people eat, because I get that all the time. Clients will be like, well, I, I already do eat pretty low fat. And I'm like, um, well, from what you told me, I don't think so. So, and once they count it, they realize that they're eating like a thousand calories a day, just in fat. And then again, and I, like similar to you, I'll have them track it just for fat intake alone. Like, I don't care about your calorie count. That doesn't really matter in too, too much. Um, but yeah, once people start to realize how much fat they're really eating, they're usually blown away. Yeah. Uh, that's so interesting. Thank you so much. I've seen also on your Instagram, you, uh, beating your record of pull-ups. So well done on that. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> quite passionate about how we can actually be strong and build muscle on that diet. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. Do you have a specific strengths goals? Yeah. So my ultimate, well, maybe not my ultimate goal, but my next goal for pull-ups is to get to 10 pull-ups. So I, I'm at seven, so I'm not that far off. Um, before I got sick with Lyme disease, my goal was to get 10 pull-ups and I was at eight pull-ups. Um, and I probably could do eight now. Sometimes I don't push myself very hard. And then like, if Ted's in town, um, we'll go work out and he's like, come on, you could do one more. And I'm like, you're right. I can can do one more. But when I work out by myself, I tend to like go easy on myself. Um, so 10 pull-ups is a short-term goal. I mean, I'd love to be beat that goal as time goes on. And that would be the plan if I'm continuing to get stronger. Um, and yeah, my, as, as far as any other like specific goals, fitness wise, I don't really have like a number where it's like 10 pull-ups, but, um, I do like to still, I, I like to deadlift. I like to squat and I don't really know what my like squat PR is. My deadlift PR is like a hundred and 80 pounds or something like that. So I'd like to, um, maintain that or even go a little heavier. I don't know how much heavier I could actually go. I don't, you know, that that's already so much more than what I weigh, but, um, just to know that I'm able to still like do a couple more reps or a little bit more weight is kind of, um, what I strive for all the time, um, because it's fun and I do love to challenge myself. Um, especially now it's, it is fun to challenge myself to, just show people that I don't do protein shakes. I don't really care about protein and you can still get stronger. Cause I used to be someone who was like, there's no way that you can be fit and get stronger without protein shakes. I was hardcore into protein shakes before all of my health stuff. Um, and then of course yeah, I, I learned they weren't healthy and obviously then there's a healthier way to go about it. Nothing against if you want to do protein shakes, but fruit will suffice if you want it to. So Mm. yeah it's amazing and very uh inspiring so it's beautiful so now that you're helping people get on their health and their ideal bodies and their strengths um on, on this diet i think uh, all of us in the in the community of coaches in that nutritional path we're like very dedicated to the mission so that's yeah. beautiful um yeah how do you like coaching I really enjoy it. I, I, I love it. Um, I'm sure you find this too. It's, it's definitely really, really fulfilling when someone's like, yeah, I feel like myself, like that's my favorite thing to hear from a client is that I feel like myself again, because so many people deal with symptoms all the time and they don't realize that they're not themselves and they it's, they've been dealing with it for so long. They don't even re re remember what it's like to feel good again. And so, um, when I have clients hear that those are like 
the golden words. I'm like, yes, we did it. Like you're feeling like you and, um, and, and probably cause I can relate to that because for so long, I just didn't feel like myself and it was, you know, it's not fun to not feel like yourself, to not be able to just get up and feel bright and vibrant and strong. Um, so I do, I really, really enjoy it. Mm, that's awesome. And where, um, what's your, let's say purpose, where do you see that going in, let's start with the next 10 years? Oh, goodness. Um, well, one of my bigger goals is I'd love to have um, a few acres of land. Um, I, so I'm, I'm in Los Angeles right now. I'd like to move a little outside of Los Angeles somewhere um, and get a little bit of land and have uh, like a hobby farm. So like have um, miniature goats and pigs and um, chickens and ducks and just <laughs> raise animals and plant like citrus trees and other fruit trees and host like nutrition retreats and nutrition workshops and do more in-person stuff with people and educating about nutrition while going to a place where you get to kind of be in nature and be with animals. And, you know, that helps with nervous system regulation and de-stressing. And so I, that's kind of, I would say my goal in the next 10 years. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Um, beautiful, by the way, uh, life trajectory and timeline. Thank you. And regarding that, how much do you feel being in nature is important for the healing part? It's so important. So, so important. Um, I have, I mean, it's easy for me to draw on examples with clients. I have a client who um, kind of like being a coach, you know, I work from home. I'm, you know, you work from home and um, being that my job is to be in the house. It's like, I got to get outside. I got to go do something like whether I'm going to, you know, lay in the sun for a minute, walk my dogs in the sun. Um, I've made it a new habit to rebound in the sun. So I'll just do my little rebounder for like 10, 20 minutes in the sun. Um, but one of my clients, um, and I, it was my bad for not even asking, like, I'm like, how did I not ask? But she hadn't like left her house in a week, like had not stepped foot outside. And I'm thinking to myself, you haven't gotten any sunlight. You haven't even got any moonlight on your body because like moonlight's great too. Um, so it's so important. And it's it's important for just our brain to regulate our natural circadian rhythm to be like, okay, we're seeing the sunshine. Okay, we're seeing the moonlight. Like it's daytime, it's nighttime. We absolutely need that. And so many people are deprived of the sunshine just hitting their skin and helping to boost our mood and boost our immune system and boost vitamin D production. So yeah, it is crucial. It is such an important part. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, is it okay in California in winter, you can get enough sun? Yeah, it's okay. I mean, like last weekend, it was like 75 and sunny. It was beautiful. So I spent extra time in the sun. And even if it's chilly, it's still usually sunny. Like today it was 60 degrees, but it was sunny. So um, there was sunshine, so you can still get get good sun. Mm. Yeah, it is a, a question for people who live more in the northern part. I mean, I remember for me, my experience being in Germany, even if it was cold and rainy, or snowy or gray, uh, was that I was feeling better on um, raw fruits personally, but that was only a two-month experiment. And okay. the only doubt that I would have is for me, the whole reason why I eat what, what I eat is I connect with the natural, more primal way to eat. And that includes uh, barefoot on the ground, getting the sun. And so even though my experience is that even if I 
was in those climate, I feel I'd do better on the row. And I know many people, Chris Kendall in Sweden, there's a lot in the US, um, Ilari Marty and Brian Mirabella and some of those, uh, even Ted when he's, he's he was often in uh, Canada who are in cold climate, yeah. really great. And they still do well on this. So I think that's definitely possible. But I would say it's less obvious because you're already not in tune with nature by living in a place where you would die if you didn't have the modern comfort, the heating and the clothes. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So then from that, it's like, well, then maybe it makes more sense to do other things that are not as natural. And just talking about vitamin D, yeah, that's probably the one thing where it'd be really hard, uh, where it'd be really hard to get is your vitamin D staying like, I don't know, 10 months or eight months in grain cold. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm very fortunate that, you know, I live somewhere where it is sunny most of the year. Um, but it is harder for people who live in those colder, more gloomy climates. Um, but you know, even just getting outside, even if it's gray still helps your body. Um, and it's just to disconnecting your eyes from the blue light, from the led lights on our ceiling. Like we just need to give our eyes a break from that artificial light and just <laughs> go outside, even if it's gloomy and gray. So, yeah. Do you feel that, so we have a, to me, it's almost this two paradigm. We have a natural diet, which is basically we're monkey and live like live and eat like monkeys. It's a little bit a short summary. There might be more to this, but that's one paradigm. And then I also live in another paradigm where this density is a result of our consciousness actually. And so that's a more spiritual paradigm. In that paradigm, I feel there is a certain ascension of the planet and humanity also where, so then it's not just I eat like a monkey, it's I eat, when I eat, I eat frequencies, I eat the, um, the sunlight, I eat the gift from the earth and the water. And in that paradigm, I'm even open to uh, different ways to eat or non-eat. Is it um, something that's part of your reality that maybe we have like a diet now, which is great for our species, but that as we ascend, we might need maybe less food, uh, like get our, get our meals through watching the sun, or do you feel that's too out there? Um, like, so the last part you said was getting our meals from the sun? Yeah, you know, like Brevayan type of paradigm where you, you would get nutrition from prana. Yeah. Um, I think so. I mean, I do think that there's something to be said about, you know, not overeating. Um, and, and I think then you could put in the piece there of like sunlight and, and things in nature are nourishing, even though it's not physical food. Is that kind of what you're saying? Um, yeah. if I follow, well, you yeah. know, so, some people push it to the point that they think you could get all and that would be labeled oh. as a dangerous idea in the uh, mainstream, but that at some point with certain states of consciousness and con feeling of connection, you'd get all you need with eating like very, very little food. Do you yeah, believe in I that? I definitely don't agree with that because there's still something to be said about the basic need of, of actual sustenance coming in and our, and our digestive system doing something like we have a mechanism in our body that is designed to break down stuff that comes in. Not that we can't get nutrients from the sun and, you know, being barefoot outside and things like that. We obviously do, 
but yeah, I still think that there still needs to be sustenance coming in. Um, and mostly just because our brain needs glucose to function. We need glucose coming in. And um, I personally don't think you can get glucose just from sunshine. Obviously it helps improve the chemical function of your brain, but you're, you still need an energy source. And while mm. the sun can help, I don't think it's the sole energy source. So, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes people go to that, like, you know, reading, I don't know if you've come across man's higher consciousness and eaton optimal or, or these books. I have not, I've heard of them, but I haven't really kind of taken the time to go down that road yet. So <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's already a lot um, to do and to heal in the world with a, a like a more proven and tested way, let's say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's, especially, I mean, with nutrition, there's so much to keep up with. I feel like I have like a whole stack of books that it's like, I got to get to these books. And, and then mm. it's like, I see more stuff, um, more books that I'm like, Oh, I want to read that book too. Oh, I want to read that book too. Um, so, um, there's always stuff to learn and I am, I am always open to learning more, but that that's just a topic I haven't quite dive, yeah. dove into yet. So. And are you also, are you fully vegan? I am. Yes. Mm -hmm. Is that uh, only from your health journey or do you have a ethical reason for it too? Um, only from my health journey. Um, it's never really been a super ethical choice. Like, obviously, like I don't like, I, I love animals and, um, even when I ate meat, this sounds weird, but I've always loved pigs since I was very little. I've always, I, I have wanted a pet pig since I was like three years old. And so growing up, I really wouldn't eat pork because one, I knew how smart pigs were. And I'm like, that just doesn't feel right. Um, but on, based on that logic, then it's kind of like, well, then how is it right to eat the other forms of meat? But I did grow up on a dairy farm for a while and I have family members who are still dairy farmers. And I just, I've seen up close all the care that actually goes into taking care of the animals on the farm and Obviously there's factory farms out there that are just awful. And like, I definitely don't agree with that. But when you look at smaller scale farming, smaller scale dairy farmers, um, the animals are truly well cared for. They have like their own diet plan and they're, you know, nourished. And so I think because I've been around it in that way, I'm not like super against those that want to eat meat. Um, but for me, I never liked it that much. Like it was never like, oh, I'm excited for this meat part of my meal. It was just like, oh, I have to eat it to be healthy and have a complete diet. Um, and then when I moved out on my own and, you know, was cooking my own food, I hated cooking meat. I just hated it. Um, I didn't like cooking chicken. So I would then cook like ground bison or ground beef and I didn't even love it. Um, and then when I went through my health stuff, I'm like, you know what, I'm going to cut it out and see what happens. And I got better and I never missed it. And so at this point, yeah, I'm like, I, why would I add it back in? So. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So it was like done very naturally. Yes. I mean, yeah. Your health, but then, then it aligned basically. Exactly. Yeah. Which is good. Cause then you, you don't have to compromise. So for example, here living in Bali, when there are some people, they want to be vegan, let's say, for the ethics or for the energetics, or they have some reason, but um, somehow their life journey uh, put them in a position where they feel um, something maybe very different, like eating a lot of meat would be beneficial for their health. Then it's hard because there's a little bit of a conflict. What I like with our ways to it is like, 
I mean, to me at the moment, I feel great physically and I'm very grateful for that. Um, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, so yeah. ethically. So then there's no, um, yeah, there's no battle there, which is nice. Yeah. And I think Dr. Morse said once, that like, as far as like positive and negative energy of food, like obviously meat has like all negative energy. There's nothing positive about that. And like, when you do sit to, to sit down and think about like the energy that our food carries, yeah, you can't deny that dead animals are not going to carry the same energy for your body as picking fruit from a tree. So, yeah, yeah for sure. Um, so my last question would be, why do you think um, we're still so marginal in the world still in the age of information of the internet because i think in our bubble we think oh so many people are healthy on a high row vegan diets but then when you get out of your online community bubble we're still very fringe yeah um i think because it is so easy in society to be unhealthy the way the world is set up in most western countries is it caters to being unhealthy. It takes very little effort. You can drive down the street and go through a fast food restaurant, go through a McDonald's and get something fairly cheap and fairly quick. Um, even if you go into a grocery store, most of the you know quick foods are all the packaged stuff. Granted, obviously you and me know that fruit is so quick and fast to eat, but people don't think that way. They pretty much give in to the marketing tactics that are shoved in their face all day. And it's like, yes, I'm going to buy this product. I saw it on TV. I'm going to buy this cereal. Um, and so I think it's so easy. And I mean, you go to a restaurant as well. Everything's cooked with seed oils and going out to eat is such a huge part of, of social culture in Western countries. And there's obviously nothing wrong with that. And you can do that in a healthy way, but it's harder to do. And so most people, they don't want to take that extra effort or take the time to figure out how to do things healthier. Um, and so it's just easy to do what's convenient and what's right there. So um, that is why I think, you know, it's so less common and not to mention, like I just talked about an article on my social media that so many registered dietitians, um, that industry is corrupt. And there have been major companies like Coca-Cola and Pepsi paying online dietitians who are influencers to promote certain products that we know are unhealthy. They've been promoting cereals. They've been promoting certain like drinks that it's like, if anyone in our community looked at the ingredients, we'd be like, why are you promoting this as a health food? This is not a health food. Mm. Um, and so it's like, because we have things like that too, that are out there, people get really confused, um, sadly. So, um, there's not as many of us because most people don't want to put in the work to clean up their diet and, and eat healthy. Yeah, thanks for sharing. And I do believe the social aspect is um, maybe on, we talked about the emotional side and they obviously link, but the social is probably really in general, I've seen it for myself and for people around and for clients is uh, really hard. So it's really good to take to be conscious about the environment we're in and and to yeah. find our balance between, yeah, maybe sometimes skipping some social events depending on what we prioritize. Exactly, yeah. And it, it is, it's finding a good balance because you don't want to skip everything and then isolate yourself and be alone because, again, as we said, we need community. 
But on the other hand, you don't want to then surround yourself with people who aren't going to be supportive of your health journey. Um, a lot of people in my like in my immediate circle here in LA do not eat like me, um, eat very differently. Um, but we respect each other's ways of eating. So it's not like there's any judgment or that I feel like I'm unwelcome or anything like that. And I think that's the key. If you can't find a group of people who eat like you in your area, then just find a group who's supportive of how you eat. This way you can still maintain those social relationships without having to compromise your health in the process. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Taylor. We've covered a lot and that was uh, really nice to hear more about what you're doing and how you're helping the clients. And I'll put the links obviously in the description of the video for people who want to learn more. And it seems like, yeah, we'd encourage people to uh, go and talk to Taylor because you seem very passionate, you seem very knowledgeable and very caring. So thank, well, thank you, you so much. doing that light work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was nice to have a conversation with you. Any, any chance to talk about nutrition and stuff? Yeah, I definitely love it. So it was great. Amazing. Anything you want to share to close? Oh, I don't think so. We covered a lot. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for the listener for taking the time. If you like this video, make sure to hit the like button and sending much love to everyone listening and to you, of course, Taylor. Thank you. Bye.